Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. I'm going to open the show today, as we always do, by stating that the goal of this show is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but outside of GI as well. Today, we are once again spending time on the provider side with a focus on private GI practice. Our guest today is Dr. Rockford Yap, co-founder of GI Partners of Illinois, one of the largest GI practices in the state. Dr. Yap has been a fixture in gastroenterology in Chicago for the last three decades. In addition to leading GI Partners of Illinois, Rocky is also the founder and chairman of the West Suburban Gut Club, an organization that has fostered the knowledge of GI disease for the last 25 years. He is also the chairman of the board of the DuPage County Medical Society, I guess other than seeing him in his white coat, the most common place you will see him is behind a podium at one of his meetings. Rocky attended the University of Nebraska for medical school, followed by an internal medicine residency at Northwestern. He did his GI and hepatology fellowship at Yale. Rocky has served on numerous advisory boards, including the American Liver Foundation and the Crohn's Colitis Foundation. I was impressed by the breadth of his training, which not only included stays at Cook County Hospital in Chicago, it also stays at the Navajo Nation in New Mexico and another in Nairobi, Kenya. We're going to have to ask him about these. <laughs> Welcome to the show today, Rocky. Thank you, Larry. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, we're, we're going to get the most out of you over these, this next 30 minutes, buddy. So I usually like to start the show by allowing my guests to tell our listeners a little bit about themselves. So Rocky, tell us about your background, your career. How did you get to where you are today? I was blessed with uh, wonderful parents who encouraged me to explore the things I wanted to do. None of, none of my family's in the medicine, but they saw that I liked science early on, so they were wonderful in helping support me to do that. A lot of lucky mentors. I, I think I think all of us who are successful in medicine have been blessed by meeting people that help point you the right way and, and do things. So I was very fortunate in college. Uh, I met some wonderful mentors and professors that got me interested in both English and in sciences, and then it inspired me to go to medical school. I met some wonderful people in medical school. I, I think the, the person that got me inspired to go to GI was a guy named Mike Sorrell. Now, you may or may not know him, but Mike is a legend in uh, in the field of hepatology. He's written textbooks, and he is uh, one of the most intimidating and interesting and fun guys I've met in college. He can talk about Shakespeare one minute and then uh, biomolecular membrane transport in the next, and and it was just uh, an inspirational guy that made me very interested in GI and, and especially hepatology. Then I um, finished medical school, went to Northwestern, had a great time there, met some fun people. As, as all of us, when we were in internal medicine, you think about almost every specialty you can go into. And I, I continued my interest in GI and, and was uh, really, because of my experience in GI, meeting some great gastroenterologists at Northwestern, it just reaffirmed what I wanted to do. And I went on to uh, Yale. And Yale is... Uh, Yale was an intellectual feast. I just met some world-class people there. Jim Boyer is, you know, an internationally known expert in liver disease. Henry Bender is probably the second most intimidating man in medicine I ever met. Both these guys were about five foot one. And uh, every time I had to go in to talk to Henry, I was uh, sweating three pounds of sweat before, by the time I left his room. But he was a wonderful mentor and inspired me to do a bigger, better thing. So I, I've just been really fortunate all along. And I, I'd say I've even even in private practice, I, I really wanted to go into academics. Uh, I got some wonderful job offers on paper in uh, at, uh, University of Chicago, at Loyola, at Rush. But they were, I think they were paying about 57 cents an hour. So 
I had a, I, I think Larry, you probably the same way. You you had to have kids to support. So I, I ended I, up going to private practice, but I I have a love and affection for academics, and I try to carry that over in what I do today and in my practice. Even though I'm I'm definitely firmly in the private practice camp. Well, you know, it's just like you to be attributing your success to the others who taught you. That that's that's a true Rocky statement. You have to tell us about your Navajo Nation in Nairobi training. I mean, I have to get that out of you. Early on, when I was in medical school, I, I just thought about working with underserved populations. And one of my professors, because I remember my first year as a professor in anatomy, Dr. Metcalf, and he uh, said, well, there's wonderful opportunities to serve in underserved countries. There's, in, in your own country, he was, he was from Britain, but in your own country, there's wonderful places. And he also talked about uh, Africa. And so I applied for a grant to study in Africa. To my surprise, I got accepted. And I worked a while at Kenyatta National Hospital. I spent a, about a month and a half there. I worked at a uh, leprosy uh, facility on the border of the Ugandan border. I was fascinated because I was just at the time when Idi Amin fell. And so it was a, it was a fascinating time. I, I was really interested in that. I also realized as much as an individual can do, you also have to be involved with help shaping policy and helping shape the environment and world you're around. So they were, they were inspirational times. I had a wonderful time. But the Navajo Nation was just Absolutely a wonderful experience. I spent three months in Shiprock, a small hospital, and we did everything. I mean, I did hip replacements. I put in central lines. I did uh, chest tubes. I did regular medicine. I delivered my last baby I delivered in my career was in an ambulance in the, the Shiprock parking lot, the Shiprock hospital parking lot. So I, I had a, a great experience in uh, in medical school. And, and I was really, uh, Nebraska was wonderful letting me Going to Cook County, but also going to Shiprock, New Mexico, going to Nairobi. I was uh, I had a great experience in doing infectious disease at Cornell. I mean, just a fascinating time and really uh, helped shape my my worldview and really trying to help others. So I was I was very lucky in a lot of those activities. You know, I learn something about you every time I talk to you, Rocky. That that uh, that's very impressive. You're you know, a lot of people just have a very it's almost like they have blinders on. They go through what they're required to do in their training and and they don't get the breadth of experience that uh, you got in yours. That's really cool. You know what? You and I both lived in the private practice world of Chicago. Uh, you were in the western suburbs or are in the western suburbs. I was in the northwest suburbs. But we both elected to go into private practice. And I guess I always have to lean on the line, a John Lennon line that says, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. So we, we, we do make decisions that are necessary for where we are in our life. So let's talk about your practice. You've built one of the largest successful practices in Illinois, as also I did. I know the reasons I did, but I'm, I'm curious, why do that? Why get bigger and bigger? Why not just stay as your four-doctor group uh, in the Western South? Why did you do that? I think you and I started about the same time. We're both, of course, we're both incredibly young, but uh, we both started a few years ago. And really, when we started, you know, it was hard, but it's possible to start your own private practice. You work hard, you you meet people, you do a good job. And and, and medicine has changed the last uh, 20, 30 years where really, it, it, I mean, for, for doing what we did 20, 30 years ago, it would be very, I say, almost impossible. And because medicine has changed so much. So it's very kind of you to talk about my working with other people to build a practice, but and I'll be honest with you, you were, you and Fred were part of the inspiration that got us to think about uh, bringing a group together. 
uh, you very kindly and generously offered us to join your group. And, and we, as you remember, we were very close to joining uh, IGG. And then we started talking about it. And we, we thought about it and we thought we could do a lot of the same things you did, do the same thing and try to build a group and learn from you and also hopefully do things in a, in a different way. I think one of the, the biggest things that prevented us from joining your group, and maybe we'll talk about this later, was the restricted covenant. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll adjust it later. That's an important. Yeah, so that that was really the thing that um, had us thinking about that because we all had careers. We're all in, in our middle of our careers, and things didn't go right. We didn't want to have to move and change our careers, so we built a practice based on mutual shared interests. GI doctors and doctors in general, we we are not each other's competitions. We are each other's allies. I mean, physicians have to start working together. We talked over the years about several times about merging with your groups and trying to come together in different ways. Never quite worked out, but we grew up to uh, a very large group and the principle that, look, we want to build a practice that a practice good enough that you want to join and stay with us and not feel like we have to put handcuffs on you. We, if we're not building a practice good enough for you to stay with, you can, you're free to leave and try to pursue other interests. That's a double-edged sword, as you know, because mm-hmm. people do sometimes leave. And actually, your old group, we had several of our, our partners join your group for reasons we can talk about a little later. But but we've grown into a very strong and cohesive group. And as you said, years ago, a four-person group was great. Life was good. We did well. But now the pressure is that really being a small one or two or four-person group is no longer... I think advisable. I think you really have to come together and realize physicians are strongest when they collaborate, when they work together, when they come together. And I, I, I firmly believe that um, I don't look at any of my GI colleagues, my competition. I look at my allies, my friends, and we'll talk about this later, but you know, GI services, we are in just an incredible time. I, I there's part of me that envy our young colleagues that are just about to go in practice. I mean, GI is going to be, incredibly complicated, but incredibly rewarding. I think the future is so bright for GI. And I think it's bright if we figure out ways to come together and be not just passive sheeps and employees, but actually actively engaged in, in choosing our direction of what we do in the future. I think it's, I'm nervous, but at the same time, very excited about the future of GI. Uh, you know, Rocky, so I guess the, the saying that if you want to go fast, go alone. You, if you want to go far, go together is the pillar upon which you, you decided to build a large group. And you know what? I, I, I share that. I share that same philosophy. I, I think, you know, the biggest challenge we have is blending the cultures together to, to build a large group because I've always said, if, if you put 10, doc, 10 doctors in a room, you get 10 different opinions, you know, MD stands for my decision. Sometimes 12 opinions. Right? <laughs> so, but, I, but, you know, it's very lucky for us because our group came together. And really, I, I know you know Charles Berkelhammer, just a, yeah. an incredibly intelligent and talented guy and really a, a genuinely honorable man. And we started talking about ways to get together. And then Charles and I, we both knew other groups. And we, we grew from there from a nidus of three or four group. We grew up at one time. We're up to 50. We've, we've consolidated a little bit now because of things we can talk about later. We're also... We're absolutely, each each of our subunits are different culturally, but we're all bonded together and trying to do what's best for us as a group in our negotiations with hospitals, our negotiations with healthcare systems. We're starting to do what you've done with uh, IgG and now GIA and 
negotiating with, uh, with insurance companies and trying to use our, our collective power to start really exert leadership that I think physicians should be involved with. I mean, physicians truly are the intellectual heart and soul of medicine. I mean, you cannot have medicine without physician leadership. I, I totally agree, Rocky. But let's put that a little bit to the patient side. For the listeners, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Dr. Rockford Yap, co-founder of GI Partners in Illinois. So, Rocky, we've talked a lot about the GIs, about the docs. This is a value-based podcast, and we have to talk about how the patient benefits from this. So, what does the building of a large independent GI group, how does that provide more patient value? We have uh, across, we have 25, 35, 25 doctors, about 35 healthcare professionals that are employed by us and, and over a thousand total employees in uh, GI partners. Because of that, we do several things. One, we have a centralized billing, which makes uh, us much more efficient in doing that for the physicians. We have a world-class pathology lab that uh, can process samples that we do uh, much more efficiently. We've had the ability that 25 of us to work together with insurance companies to optimize, and we're starting to work with them more and trying to figure out ways to optimize and negotiate contracts. We have to be bigger to do that. I think that's one of the advantages that GIA has, and that's something we're aspiring to as well, to get larger and be able to do that. But really, we also, by, by having a large group of physicians together, we can draw on the experience and the wisdom of those collective wisdom that it's very hard to do in a one or two or four person group. From my perspective, it just, the power in numbers translates not only to the way how physicians control their lives and how they manage their practice and how they be more efficient, but also allows us to be more efficient, more time and better able to take care of our patient needs. Because really, ultimately, we are successful not by how much money we get paid, but we're successful by how, how well we take care of patients. And a large group offers us that opportunity to take away some of the, in a, in a large group where we have a centralized administrative office, a centralized billing office, a, a, a HR department that's centralized that can manage this legal, all those things that doctors sometimes get burned out on on managing a small practice. We can remove all that and centralize that so it takes less pressure on the physician and has the physician have more time to really focus on what's best for patients. So all sorts of ways that really, really helps. Well, I, I certainly agree with you completely on that. Toughest question I'm going to ask you today is the one I'm going to ask you. All right. I'm ready. Where do you see independent GI practice going in the future? If you asked me that five years ago, I've been really pessimistic. But, you know, I'm, I'm, as I'm learning more, I think this is just a really unique time in GI and in medicine in general. I think, um, as you know, Larry, and I know the AGA, you're on the AGA uh, board and you uh, you have number of leadership roles in different organizations, there's going to be a shortage of physicians. I mean, physicians, especially GI physicians, are going to be one of the ones that are critically in a shortage. We're going, to, we're going to need to be involved in solving the critical shortages that are going to be in physicians. And GI is one of the ones that are going to be most severely affected in the next 10 to 15 years. COVID accelerated that. We had more physicians, we had more colleagues resign and just say, I just can't take it. The burnout was tremendous. And so now we have a new group of physicians that are coming in, but the demands on them providing services are going to be huge. As those expectations go on us more, we have to assert more leadership. 
We have to assert more control. We have to assert better ability to take, take charge of patient care. When you have physicians, when you do what's best for physicians, you often do what's best for patients. When you do what's best for a healthcare organization or private equity or a large a large entity that's not directly involved on hands-on healthcare, you're doing what's best for that private equity firm. You're doing best what's best for you know, the healthcare system. You often are not doing what's best for physicians and often are not doing what's best for patients. So I think it's really important in the next few years to look and say, look, we have to, we have to reassert our leadership role. And we're in a position to do that. There is a shortage of GI physicians. It's going to get worse the next 10 years. So I'm very optimistic that, first of all, GI is just, and Larry, you know, it's just a wonderful profession to be in. If you're going to pick one, the things that we do, I mean, we're, we're involved in the most intimate parts of patients' lives. We can make a difference. Lots of specialties are like this, but we have the ability to really and have long-term relationships with patients that are meaningful, that makes people's lives better and more productive. Uh, and we're in, and Larry, I know there are th- probably thousands of patients that you've treated through your career that are either alive today or have better lives today because of what you've done through your career. We've made people's lives better because of what we did. And that is one of the great joys of medicine. Doctors love doing that. Yeah. organizations, yep. private equity, they have other motivations. So, yep. uh, so I, I think as we look at this, aligning the interests of healthcare and aligning with physicians and patients, that is such a bright future now. And physicians, I think the pendulum is going to start swinging the other way. And I think it already is starting to swing the other way that physicians are going to be starting to be looked at more and more for leadership, for guidance, for advocates, for patients. And patients need our advocacy. You see healthcare systems, I'm not naming specifics, but healthcare systems say we put patients first. Healthcare systems provide the infrastructure. They do not provide healthcare. Physicians, nurses, healthcare who are the front lines, they're the one providing the healthcare. And you do what's best for physicians, you're going to make patients are going to do better. You said that really well. And I realized something today. You and I are both breath half full people. We are we are both optimistic, and you know I, I totally agree with what you just said. You know, if you look at them, I think the median age of a gastroenterologist today is over fifty five. When you look at the demographics of the country, I believe the millennial generation is larger than the baby boom ever was. Mm-hmm. And so, there's a lot of folks out there that are hitting their forties that are going to need medical care, and they're being taken care of by a dwindling group of providers. I really like the way you answered that question. I like the way you put a positive spin on it. That's just your nature to do that. And I think it's mine as well. You are really, really passionately involved in local physician organizations. It's not easy to have a full-time practice, to build a big uh, group, and then to also be chair on the board of your county medical society and to run Cut club for the physicians of the Western suburbs. Why do you feel these local organizations are important? Why have you pursued these initiatives? I think life is more interesting. Life is more fulfilling. Life has a better purpose when you are trying to make your little part of the world a little bit better. When you're trying to organize friends and people. I've been just lucky with the DePage County Medical Society. There are just some wonderful people I work with, uh, Lanny Wilson, Chris Barber, 
during COVID, we partnered with the DuPage County uh, Health Department, and we had wonderful seminars about about the, the policies that DuPage County Health Department, but you know, DuPage County was one of the most successful counties in the country as far as disease mitigation, vaccination, educating physicians. We had great, and that collaboration, uh, Rashmi Chug was the uh, the lead um, physician, uh, the chief medical officer. We had a great, so we had an impact there. We're now working on something that maybe we'll talk about a little later that I'm passionate about right now, which ties into the importance of physician leadership. We're working on trying to get rid of uh, the uh, non-compete clauses, something that, again, Larry, nothing nothing against you because we almost joined. I was almost being your uh, your second command over there. I tried to be your second command with IgG, if it wasn't for that non-compete, that non-compete. And now we have the FTC arguing that uh, that that they should be uh, banned in the country. And we're now working on making Illinois a state that has, uh, that gets rid of non-competes. I think non-competes are, we can talk about that a little later, but but those are the- no, let's, talk, let's talk, Rocky, let's talk about this now. I think, I think you give a good segue into this and I wanted to, close the show today with, with a discussion around that. And for the listeners, these non-compete clauses are part of, I would imagine, the great majority of practices. I think the fact that you don't have one in your group is an exception rather than a rule. And over the years, you know, I, I've seen how difficult they are to sustain. And they become an inhibition for the growth of groups. So I'm going to turn this over to you, I, you know, Let's talk about how this new FTC rule, which would eliminate non-competes, how would that affect the practice of gastroenterology? Larry, you probably the same way. When I came out in practice, I just thought non-competes were the way of the world. You had to sign a non-compete, mm-hmm. no choice. And um, I remember I joined a practice uh, out of a fellowship at Yale. I was interviewing long distance, and it was very hard for me to really know for sure what's going on, but I was told non-competes are pretty standard. And I joined a, a physician and a group that the non-compete was uh, very onerous. And I, I just remember thinking that it, it prevented me from doing what I thought was best, not only for the practice, but best for my patients, how to run things, how to manage things. And so um, I was very much as a young man against non-competes. Now, I, I, to be to be transparent, when I first started my own small practice of four physicians, I initially had non-competes. I've now gotten rid of all of them. All my partners are not only my partners, they're my my friends. I would say that for all the whole GI partners, but especially my partners, Dr. Clark, Dr. Darabu, and Dr. Chawla, they are, are some of my best professional friends. And we have no non-competes. We're shared interests to be together. But getting back to the FTC, this is a national ban that they're proposing, that non-competes be enforced anywhere, not only for physicians, but for other professions as well. Well, the reason that I feel, and I'll focus on medicine, is so important is that non-competes are a way to inhibit physicians from doing what they think is in the best interest of their careers and their practice. One of the largest multi-specialty groups in the country started in my hospital and Edward Hospital. It is a, It has a huge non-compete. It now has over 800 physicians, and they have non-competes. They're also owned by venture capital and venture capital has different motivations than physicians do in caring for patients. But we've had physicians who no longer could work in that environment. They had to leave the state. I mean, what a, what a tremendous loss for patients that they had to leave the state because 
They they knew it wasn't in the best interest of their career. It wasn't in the best interest of their patients to stay in an environment where the motivations of the people who, who essentially control and run the practice, whether it's private equity, hospitals, or whether it's the healthcare systems, where the threat of non-compete prevented them from saying, look, you're wrong, I'm going to leave. So my my viewpoint is non-competes inhibit, patient, inhibit physicians from doing what's best. It's anti-competitive. It's against the best interests of patients. As I said before, when you do what's best for physicians, you're often doing what's best for patients. So I think um, non-competes will, if we get rid of that, physicians will have a much more equal standing with their employers. Say, look, I don't like this. This is not correct. And I don't want this to happen. And they'll give, it'll help and further empower physicians to have, keep that pendulum swinging the way I think it should towards physician empowerment. There's an interesting survey about this. So first of all, 74%, almost three quarter physicians right now are employed. And that was right after, right after COVID. It's probably even more. It's probably over three quarters of physicians employed now. Most of them have a non-compete. If you if you got rid of the non-compete, physicians instead of saying I hate this, I got to quit, they don't have to quit and leave their patients. They can they can stay or they can at least have a better ability to negotiate. So I think non-competes are harmful to physicians, but most important, it's harmful to to patients, to healthcare and to do what's best for patients in general. So it'll further empower physicians and make, uh, I think it'll make healthcare a much better place. So I'm strongly in favor of getting rid of that. Rocky, you have me as a believer here as well. You know, when you look at the kind of non-competes we had in our small practices, we may have eliminated your ability to practice at a certain hospital, but you certainly didn't have to move. And you could you could maintain a doctor-patient relationship. I think what makes this really critical today goes back to what you and I have been talking about. As these groups get larger and encompass a larger uh, geographic area of a city, it really results in the physician having to leave the entire area. Plus, there's one thing that really has always bugged me is the termination without cause clause. And in most of these large, either private equity-owned practices or hospital-based practices, I can see from the business side why they do this. You could be practicing very well, have a good relationship with your patients, and your organization decides that maybe you're not doing enough RVUs or or maybe you're, you're just not the face they want, they can terminate you without cause. And so you could be forced to leave your area and not have much ability to fight that. You would never treat a physician that way if you said, look, you have to treat them as an equal. I mean, Richard Branson has a great quote. You know, you should train people well enough that they could leave you. You should treat them well enough that they don't want to. It's so important. With all my heart, believe in that. Thank you, Rocky. Thank thank you for being our guest today. I, I feel uplifted after this. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. Lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well.